Good morning, church family. Good to be with you all again. As we prepare ourselves for the Word of God now, I want to ask you a question in all seriousness. Do you like coming to church? Seriously. It's good to hear a quick response like that. Do you find it more of a duty or a delight to gather with other believers at Riverstone? I like what I'm hearing so far. Some of you ain't holding back at all. I like that. But this is a serious question. Is it more of a duty or a delight to gather with your church family on Sundays? Is coming to church something you know is good for you? You, you know you should do it, but it's a weekend. <sighs> or is it something you look forward to? A duty or a delight? Dr. George Barna, director of the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University and founder of the Barna Group, a leading research group that tracks faith in America. I know, uh, long intro. This guy, okay, Dr. Barna, credible guy. Many of you probably know him. Uh, released a report this past April. So coming up on about a year ago, April of 2023. It's an insightful report looking at how the faith of Americans has shifted since the start of the pandemic. So, a study looking at trends over a three-year period from spring of 2020 to January of 2023. In it, Dr. Barna, who is himself a devoted Protestant Christian and elder at his church, notes a few small positive trends, but overall more significant negative trends for the evangelical church in America. There are certainly some concerning new stats regarding beliefs, like a 14-point drop among born-again Christians believing that Jesus lived a sinless life. Now, only about 44% of born-again Christians believe that Jesus was without sin. Not sure what their gospel consists of for the other 56%, but the sinfulness of Jesus seems to now be a prevailing belief among born-again Christians, those who claim that we are saved by grace through faith, not of any works of our own there was a 42-point drop, 42-point drop in belief among born-again Christians that God has a unique calling or purpose for their lives. 42 points from 88% of born-again Christians in 2020 convinced that God is purposeful and personal to 46% today, three years later. No purpose for me as a Christian. Now, 
The one I want to hone in for our study this morning is another astounding drop. 35% of born-again Christians are no longer committed to practicing their faith. A 35-point drop here. Practicing faith includes Bible reading, church attendance, volunteering, and charity work or giving. In three years' time, American evangelicals, born-again Christians, went from 85% at least claiming they practice what they believe to now 50%. Nah. Somewhere around 15 million self-identified born-again Christians in the U.S. just stopped going to church entirely during these three years. I'm done. Somewhere around 15 million. For those who are active now, active being measured by attendance was on average two times a month. Now it's one time a month. The stats being used for, for activity are monthly. In other words, if you show up once a month now to church, you're doing pretty good. That's depressing. Dr. Barna notes, though major crises like the COVID pandemic are known to have significant impact on stats like these, he says, these are indefensible shifts. Religious beliefs and behaviors have typically been a hallmark of consistency. These things typically change over the course of generations, not a few years. He says, though this is shocking, it is precisely what happens when the prevailing worldview of the nation is syncretism. Syncretism. I quote, The most widely held worldview in the U.S. today consists of adopting beliefs from a variety of worldviews, secular and religious, and combining them into an unpredictable, customized blend that satisfies the emotional needs of the individual. He suggests, that's the cause of these stats. In other words, he's saying, society disciples Christians now. No longer the word of God, increasingly. Why is that? He just said it. Ideologies are replacing theology. That's what the implications of what these findings are showing. That is, what we believe about politics, economics, society, culture, entertainment, security, progress, tradition, these things inform our belief and behaviors now among Christians. Us. No longer the Word of God. Why? He notes He just said it. Our hearts are yearning for satisfaction 
and security, and our affections are latching on to whatever is most satisfying for me right now. We are hungry, wandering sheep convinced that food and water are on the other side of the fence. Let's go get it. Barna concludes his report with this exhortation. This is a time when pastors would be wise to return to the basic Christian principles and practices to rebuild the spiritual foundations of their congregations and to celebrate the true blessings of God, reminding their people how great their God really is. So, that's a summary in part of the church in America today. You think it's accurate? You think we might be syncretistic, driven by individual emotional desires? Something to seriously consider. Is it satisfactory for us? Are we fulfilled? Secure? Now, if we are to heed Dr. Barna's exhortation to reform ourselves back to the basics of Christianity, I cannot think of a better starting point than to look at the summary of the earliest account of church life recorded for us in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to pray now, and then we're going to pick up where we left off in Acts chapter 2, the final passage, and after I pray, the ushers will come forward and pass out Bibles. If you don't have one in hand, you can put your hand. If you don't have one in hand would like to have a Bible in hand, just put your hand up, and our ushers will give you one. We'll also have Scripture up on the screen. Please join me in a word of prayer as we ask the Lord to bless his word. Oh, Lord, hearing the state of your church, our family, in our land today is deeply concerning, Lord. It's not only deeply concerning for our land and our family across the land, it's deeply concerning for us, me. Lord, as we look to you now in your word, help us to see and behold marvelous things from your word, that we would be swooped up this morning in your beauty and the beauty of the design of your church, Lord, life together in Christ. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Illuminate our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we read our passage, ushers can come forward. Remember what we saw last week. Peter's big sermon. He just finished preaching the gospel to a large crowd, and 3,000 respond in repentance and faith. 3,000 receiving forgiveness of sins and the promise of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 came to faith that very day. The question now is, how did they proceed? What did they all do next? 3,000, just that one day after coming to faith in Christ. Let's read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Family, this passage that we just read contains the earliest picture of church life that we have in the Bible, and it is beautiful. Is it not? It's beautiful. It's the ideal. These believers have responded to the gospel in a way that makes very clear they get it. They get it. They get him. They see the infinite beauties of the person and work of Jesus in full, and so they respond accordingly. Now, Luke probably thinks, from what he's gathering, this is so radically different than anything anyone has ever seen before. I've got to record this. And what Luke records here couldn't be more basic of a blueprint for biblical discipleship. This is the first summary passage in the book of Acts. We'll see many more throughout the book. First summary passage. And verses 42 and 43 serve as a kind of summary of the summary. 44 through 47 then will further unpack what the church life consists of. Verse 42 says, they were devoted to four main practices. And before we look at these four, I don't want us to miss this fact that devotion is the glue that keeps these fundamental aspects of the church together. They were devoted to these things, all in response to the gospel of Jesus. One, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That's because they knew There was something extraordinary about the apostles' teaching versus any other teachings in their day. In verse 43, Luke shows that wonders and signs were performed by the the apostles, thus confirming the authority behind their words. Their teachings, as recorded for us in the New Testament, consisted of the very words of God himself. And, of course, their teachings also consisted of connecting all the Old Testament scriptures to the person and work of Jesus. They were devoted to the Word of God. It was their delight. I'm meditating on the second stanza of Psalm 119 this week, and in it, I noticed the psalmist writes, I delight in your word as much as in 
all riches. Wow. Both the psalmist and these early disciples have discovered where true satisfaction is to be found. In the very words of God. As much delight to be found there as you could ever imagine, as all the things you could ever imagine having or buying. True riches in this treasure chest. God's word is our life. Light. Two, they were devoted to the fellowship. Now, today we hear that word fellowship often in the church, right? And we think coffee and donuts after service. Small talk in the lobby. But fellowship in Scripture consists of a participation in and sharing life, the sharing of life together. Consider the basis of Christian fellowship from 1 John 1.3. The Apostle John says, We are testifying to these things so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. True fellowship, true Christian fellowship consists of union and communion with God and one another. A participation in the life of the triune Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and participation in the life of his body, the church. Real communal life. That's true fellowship. Coffee, donuts, bagels, small talk. These things are first steps toward real fellowship. A deep participation in each other's lives. Three, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. I love this. Meaning they ate together and enjoyed life together daily. Maybe you've heard it said, a family that prays together stays together. It's good. I recently heard a pastor say, a family that plays together stays together. I believe both. They both played and prayed together. They had it all. The pita, the bao, the roti, the naan, the pori, the pao de queijo, the cornbread, the ciabatta, eh? It was all on the table, and they loved it. They couldn't stop. Isn't that amazing? You would think that this list would only be works, wouldn't you? Duties. We must fulfill. Isn't that what Christianity is all about? Suffocating duty? The one who thinks that has never met the real Jesus. It's about life. Delightful life. Abundant life. In Christ. Together. 
Isn't it wonderful that God informs us that one of the best things that we can do to keep his church strong and flourish is eat up together. And there you have my biblical basis for being a foodie. Just a simple brother trying to be faithful. Now, someone's saying, hold up a second there, preacher. Breaking bread, that sounds like the Lord's Supper. Wouldn't this just be them keeping the ordinance? To which I respond, good observation, really. However, most scholars agree that breaking bread here certainly consisted of eating together and secondarily might have also consisted of communion together. Both ways, one way or another, Both were practiced regularly. But eating together is the primary focus in this passage, which I believe is made more and more clear, made clearer as the the text unfolds. They were devoted to life together, and they loved it. Four, they were also devoted to prayer. Of course they were. In this new way of life, they would have to depend on God together. It would be unimaginable to live this radically different life in stark contrast to the entire world around them without God sustaining them. Impossible. So they committed themselves to prayer, both corporately and privately. The early church was devoted to the Word of God, to deep fellowship, eating together, and prayer. Now, keep in mind here that these practices described took place at a variety of different times and places. This is a summary of early church life not simply service times. What's important to note throughout this passage is their devotion to these practices. In our context today, we can find ourselves so churched, so consumeristic at heart, that we tend to think the church institution provides these things for us. And if this church doesn't give me the word, good fellowship, opportunities to eat with others, and prayer services, then I'll simply move on. Next. Like everything else in American society. Next. Oh, maybe they will have these things for me. That is very different than what we see going on in this text. In this passage, verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to these things. They brought these things. They sought these things. They made these things. They loved these things. And they couldn't stop doing them. Why? Verse 43, because awe was upon them. The awe of God 
they saw him for who he really is. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, merciful and just in every way, giving his very own son, precious Jesus, to die in our place, the place of mockers and rebels of God, so that simply by faith in him, our sins would be forgiven and we would receive everlasting life with God. What? You did that for me, for us, for real? I'm done. I'm yours. Now show me the way. The awe of God was upon them. Those words, awe came upon, is in a continuous form. Awe was continually upon every soul among them. The awe of God, marveling at the beauties of God, the reverential fear of God, was continually upon them, fueling their devotion to life together in his church. Family, this is so incredibly hard for us today. There is so much to marvel at. More than ever before, we marvel all day long. Marvel, marvel, marvel. I want this, I want that. Look at his strength, his brilliance, his splendor. Look at her brilliance. Marvel at me, marvel at me, marvel at me. Our hearts can be so divided. We marvel when we marvel at so many things all day long. We'll never see him. We'll never see him. Family, I am barely indicting here. I'm mostly lamenting. Hear my heart. What a deceitful world we live in today. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, those with singular focus, for they will see God. If God is not marvelous to you, you will never have abundant life in his church. This place will be your second job. Work transfer your focus and the affections of your heart, which is all over the place, transfer your focus and your affections to Him. Marvel at Him. He has endless riches and beauties to marvel at. You cannot give equal marveling to Him and other things. You will always be a slave to those things. Behold Him. Marvel at him. Behold his glorious gospel. Receive his Holy Spirit. And your eyes will awaken in awe and wonder. Pray. Pray for marveling. Pray for an undivided heart. Like the psalmists and the apostles. Unite my heart 
to fear your name. Psalm 86, 11. Help me to see marvelous things from your word. Psalm 119, 18. Enlighten the eyes of my heart to see you and the riches of the saints. Ephesians 1. You memorizing scripture with us yet? You think we need it? We have to fight, family, against the alluring ways of the world around us and toward the purity and goodness of God. When you read a passage like this, doesn't it make you say, oh, if we could just experience life like that? It does for me. It's my greatest prayer for this church. It's possible. We can but we have to seek it together. Amen? Verse 44. Luke will now elaborate further on the first two summary verses. Two aspects of their fellowship here. They were devoted... I'm sorry. Two aspects of their fellowship here. They were together, verse 44, and they had... All things in common. Being together is where the fullness of life in the church is to be found. In our being together. When I was reading and reflecting on this, I couldn't help but to remember C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. You ever read that amazing book? Anyway, it's, it's an allegory, and his mind is just incredible. In this book, he depicts hell as an expansive, misty, gray land, which consists of millions of people who are always moving further and further away from each other because they all annoy each other, and they all just want to be left alone. C.S. Lewis calls that hell. On the contrary, heaven is colorful, vibrant, and solid. It's of true substance. And all of hell ends up being just a crack in heaven's sidewalk. Likewise, life together in the church is where color and substance is to be found. Gray isolation though it may be convenient or even a preference, might end up being hell for you. They loved to be together. Do you love to be together with us? I ain't even going to ask what you think about our greet one another time on Sundays. Uh-oh. Duty or delight? I'll leave that one right there. All things in common they had. That original Greek word for common here is koinos, which is the root of the Greek word for fellowship. Maybe you've heard this term before, even in our study, koinonia. The connection to note there is that Christian fellowship is based on commonality. Commonality. Now, you think there were differences among them? 
You think they disagreed on things? You better believe they did. That's why we have all the New Testament epistles. But they had all essential aspects of the Christian life in common with one another. And so they were able to transcend and work through secondary matters and any of their personal issues and conflicts. They were able to persevere. That's true unity. True unity. Verse 45. They were selling their possessions and giving to one another as any had need. Now, some right there would look at these two last verses, verses 44 and 45, and say, hold up now. You ain't saying this here's a communist community, are you? You ain't no Marxist, are you? We got rights to our possessions. This ain't no command. To which I would reply, simmer down now. Partner. Okay, I'm done with the role play. In all seriousness, in all seriousness though, if you read a text like this or any others and get defensive, that might very well be a sign that society is discipling you. I believe that this text and the Bible affirms the right of possessions and there is no command from each according to his ability to each according to his need. But I also believe that generosity is a biblical command for Christians. It's an expectation. However, none of that is in this text. They don't need giving commands in this community. They are so overwhelmed by the grace of God toward them, they simply cannot fathom having more and more knowing that their brothers and sisters are in need. It's that simple. This does appear to be situational as any had need, but the focus here is on the selfless, sacrificial love and consideration of one another. True love. This community is remarkable. Remarkable. Verses 46 and 47. Every day they attended the temple together and broke bread in their homes together. Every day. That word for attended is the same word for devotion, also continuous. They remained continually devoted to one another. Every day in the church and in their homes, formal times, informal times, corporate time, private time. We need both. They depended on the Lord and each other to flourish in this life every day. Do you have any relationships outside of your Sunday hour here? If you're in a group or a ministry, do you ever connect in between your weeks apart? I am so grateful 
that I recently joined a new men's group that formed here at this church. You should see our daily text change. Sometimes I just, my phone's constantly vibrating. I pick it up, bing, 28 fellas. And then I scroll through prayers and tears and praises and songs being constantly shared every day. They get it. We need each other every day. And there they go again, eating together all the time. I can't wait to try your ramen everyone's talking about. How about tomorrow? You come to our place tonight. I got frozen pizza. Why are you laughing? You're still going to come, right? That's all I got. Bring the kids, of course. I don't know. We'll figure it out when you get here. They can't miss out. And look at what's flowing from within their hearts as they gather. Gladness. Generosity. You know what that word literally translates to right there? Generosity. Literal translation, simplicity. Simple hearts focused solely on the goodness of God. What else is flowing? Praise. They were praising God, filled with thanksgiving. This is beautiful, family. And what's the result of this vibrant, delightful life together in the church? Favor with all people and many more streaming to Christ day by day. The gospel of Jesus comes to life in his church. The text of the gospel makes sense in the context of the church. And when the life of the church lines up with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, the awe of God abounds inside and outside, all around. Who is like them? that they should have a God so beautiful, so near to them as they. Look at their love and generosity, their goodness and righteousness toward each other. Surely they must have been with Jesus. Family, though this is an ideal of church life in Scripture, and though things will begin to get more difficult, inside and around the church in the following chapters, not to mention after 2,000 years, meaning where we are today, though this is real, the difficulties and the complexities of living out our life together in this world, this is here for us to always be reforming ourselves back to. Semper Reformanda, a call of the Protestant reformers for the church to always be reforming in every generation, in every age, back to the ideals and commands of Scripture. For there, the fullness of life together in the gospel 
will be lived out. Guard your hearts, family. Guard your hearts. Marvel at Christ and draw near. Step in further. If you would like to get connected and step further in to our family life here at Riverstone, I would encourage you to seriously consider attending one of our ministries, events, maybe a youth or young adult night. Maybe you want to attend, maybe you want to consider attending next Saturday's men's breakfast, this spring's women's retreat. Take initiative in getting to know others here. If you're just starting to attend here fairly regularly, I would encourage you to come to our newcomers gathering next Sunday on the 11th. If you consider Riverstone your home church, then seriously consider committing yourself as a member here. For your convenience, we put together a half-day workshop in two weeks in which we will walk through. Pastor Brian's going to lead us through all the requirements that we cover over four weeks' time on Sunday mornings during our typical class session. Some of you can't make Sunday mornings. So we're doing this for your convenience, a half-day workshop to fulfill the requirements. Consider committing yourself devoted to Christ and his church here at Riverstone. Maybe you want to consider joining a group or a study, maybe a service team to start. Get to know others in the church and serving alongside one another. All these opportunities for you to step in and draw near are available online for you. Draw near to Christ and his church. What are the things you are devoted to right now? I'm sure it's a lot. Consider the purity and simple devotions of the early church and look at their delight. Look at it. Do you want this life? A fullness of joy in Christ? Devotion to Christ and the church produces delightful Christianity inside and out, delightful Christianity, devotion to Christ and the church. Do you want that? Let me pray for us now and leave it to you to respond. After I pray, I'm going to invite the elders to come forward and meet you up front here. Anyone that's coming in today with burdens on their shoulders and would like to share prayer, maybe you want to respond and learn more on what it looks like to draw nearer to Christ or this church. Come forward. Our elders will be up front for you. We'd love to minister you to you, carry your burdens, and walk with you. Lord Jesus, we look to you because you are the only one truly worth marveling at. Day in and day out, you are the only one worthy of the fullness of our heart's praise. You are the only one who can satisfy the longings and desires of our hearts, the needs of our hearts, Lord. You and you alone. Would you help us to see and behold the beauties of who you are, the marvelous beauties of who you are, and, and run to you, letting go of the things that are holding us captive 
keeping us bound as slaves to them, keeping us in need of chasing them day in and day out, always to leave us fleeting and empty at the end of the day. Lord, help us look to you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with awe and wonder. Fill us with your Spirit. Send us out as agents of blessing in the world, Lord. Keep us united, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, family. Have a great week ahead.